Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. Uh, today, we're going to start off with some news and just things that have happened around the league the past week. Uh, and then we got a great guest. We, we just did uh, 30 minutes or so with Avs Robin talking about the uh, Colorado Avalanche, their season, uh, look, looking ahead to the playoffs. So um, stay tuned for that. It's really exciting on uh, the last 30 minutes or so of this podcast. But uh, before we get into that, we got some news and whatnot to talk about. It's been... Um, I don't know if it's a busy week, but there's definitely been some stuff that's happened. And uh, the first I think we'll get to is the smallest item. And Evgeny Malkin got four games for cross-checking Mark Borowiecki in the head uh, after giving him a wicked slash as well. Um, me and you were quickly just about discussing this offline before we started recording here. And um, I'm kind of shocked that he got four games, deservedly so. Like this is something that absolutely should be suspended at least four games. Um, but it doesn't make it any less surprising because – this is something that they let go quite often. Yeah, they seem to rarely care about things like this, but they suspended this one and even with a star player. So good for them. I think they almost kind of had to, especially after like the Matthews one. It wasn't quite as bad as the Matthews one in terms of like, like that was a pretty vicious cross check to the head. Um, not that Malkins was good. There's no good cross check to the head or anything. It was just, I think, a little lighter maybe. But like, that's why I was kind of surprised it was double the length. But um, I, I don't like Malkin. My least favorite fo- thing on Twitter is when like someone becomes so underrated that they're overrated, but everyone just keeps calling them underrated. Right. The other yep. thing like that is Malkin is actually a sneaky, dirty player. He doesn't get credit enough for how dirty it is. Like literally everyone has said, everyone this, knows, <laughs> everyone knows he's a dirty player. Like he's not underratedly dirty then. Yeah. It's been like 15 years. Uh, I'm a Penguins fan. Malkin's dirty. Uh, so is Crosby. Uh, yeah. It's pretty well known at this point. Yeah, exactly. And like, yeah, like there's been a bunch of clips where it's like Malkin's like Crosby, I find gets frustrated and will give you like a whack or whatever after the play or something like that. Malkin yep. will just go headhunt someone. And it's like, Jesus. Yep. But yeah, like it's, I don't have much to say on the suspension other than it's good that it happened. Um, Cause it, it was just like, it's one of those plays where, I just I, like, and I saw people complain about. It. It's like, oh, this is what happens when you don't, uh, when you don't let fighting, or like you have to police the game themselves. It's like, no, this always happened. Like this crap always happened. It's just the league cares about head contact now. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. This is always going to happen as long as it's a physical sport and people emotions aren't high and whatever. Yeah. Like this isn't because of lack of fighting or anything. It's like, oh, there's no tough guys to go teach them a lesson. It's like. Do you think Malkin's going to fight a four-flying goon because he cross-checked a number seven defenseman in the head? Yeah, exactly. He's he's not doing that. No. And it's like, well, there's no one that'll go do it to him. It's like, yes, because you will get five minutes and three games for four games for it. Yeah, this is this is just Malkin being presumably frustrated. Uh, You can't stop that. And now he's suspended, which is exactly what is supposed to stop that, right? So. Yep. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Some of the takes were a little while, but uh, it was noteworthy that it happened. Um, you know, I, I mentioned that it was uh, double to uh, what Matthews got, and that, that's uh, – I don't know if it was as vicious, but it was still bad, and I think the slash probably went into it as well. He gave him gave a, like a nice whack before. Um, I just – I could not picture the amount of complaining, and I'm glad it didn't happen because the amount of complaining from Lee fans this week, if he didn't get anything – would have been insufferable. Oh, Twitter would have been a tough place. Twitter was already insufferable because of what happened this week. Um, Matthews is really good at scoring goals. I don't know if you knew that. I have read that at least once. Yeah, he's, he's pretty good at it. Um, he's not as good at it because he didn't do it in the first 50 games, this bum. Um, but he only scored 50 game goals over a 50-game stretch later in the season, and we need to argue about this for a while it doesn't actually count if if it's not in the first 50 games. Those are the only 50 games that you're allowed to care about. Fun fact. Yep. Not only does it not count, he shouldn't feel proud about it. No, but he also, shouldn't. Math is hard because we're not going to count the goals that he scored in the first 10 games or whatever, but we will count the games played. So he actually yep. not has 58 goals in 67 games. He's only got 50 in 67 games. Yeah. That's what he did this season. Just the worst. I hated I, talking about, or like people talking about this. Like, how did they turn that into like not just 
one of the coolest positives we've seen in a couple of years. Literally. So like if people don't know what we're talking about, I think it was like TSN or like that, a bunch of sites tweeted out like Matthews is the first player to score 50 goals over the course of 50 games in any year since like, I think pre Ovechkin. It's like 95. I think think it was Lemieux who did it last. Yeah. Like that's how long we're talking about. He's the first dude to do that. And instead of people being like, damn, that's insane. That's something that hasn't happened in 26 years. They went, yeah, but he didn't do it to st- in the first 50 games to start the year. So he's actually an idiot. Yeah. And what, for those who don't know, 50 goals in the first 50 games only became a thing uh, because the season used to be 50 games long. Uh, when Lemieux did it, it didn't necessarily need to be the first 50 games either because Lemieux was doing it. And I don't know what the seasons were, probably 70 or 80 games at that point. Yeah, it just – and, like, I, I just don't – I don't know why it matters. Like, yeah, who cares when you score the 50 goals? Yeah, it's 50 goals in 50 games. It's fucking awesome no matter uh, no matter what. And, like, my thing on it is, like, if we really want to be stingy about this, it's more impressive that he's doing this now because yep. no one plays a lick of defense for the first month and a half to start the season. Scoring always starts high. Yeah, and, like, I get it's up this year, but I bet you it's still probably higher in the first month than it is now. 100%. And also, it's up this year. Most of the guys who did this did it in, like, the 80s, when scoring yeah. was at, like, historic highs. Yeah, when there was they were averaging, like, 13 goals a game or whatever. Like, Yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't know. It's kind of crazy to me that this has been – my take on it, I think, is, like, I get it in terms of, like, people not wanting to hear it because the Leafs have been so overhyped for two decades – 17 years of those where the team has been absolute trash and no reason they should be near as hyped as they were. But it's so it, to me, it really reminds me of like a boy who cried wolf. There's been so many times, like how many times have you seen like, um, Mikhail Grabner is the next Sidney Crosby. Like I like whatever, like just some outrageous comparison from some guy who played in 2010 or whatever. Right. And it's just like David Clarkson, that's the next Wendell Clark. It's like, relax um how many times have you seen that, I forgot the, about that one. <laughs> exactly right like how many times have we seen those headlines over the past 10 15 years for players who are not very good i think it's just kind of broken people's brains now that they actually is an absolutely elite player on the team and and let's be honest the team itself is very very good that it's like ah no we've seen this routine for a decade plus now i'm not getting tricked again or whatever right it's like yeah. shut up and go away yeah it's exactly what it is and then in reality, it's like, we can't think about all of those things. Like this is happening by itself. Yeah, exactly. Like it's not, it's not Matthew's fault that the Leafs have been overhyped for 15 years. Yeah, exactly. It's not Matthew's fault that people thought David Clarkson was the savior of the franchise. Yeah. So, um, but like, I, I kind of get it both ways. I, I will not understand the take that it actually doesn't count because it wasn't. The, that is the stupidest thing in the world to me. But in yeah. terms of like, like if your take is not that, but more rather, I'm just sick of seeing Leafs content. It's like, yeah, that's fine. I'm not going to like, I get why the content is there. People eat it up. But I also don't blame other teams for being like, I don't care to see this as much as, uh, um, you know, it's been shown. Yeah. And that, that's more than fair. It, it still is like truly insane. Yeah. Well, and I mean like the worst Leafs Twitter account and I'm, I'm not even going to name it. So people don't, but it has to do with a bag. Um, oh God. You know, like his, yeah. his tweet about like, yeah, he listed off all the 50 goals, 50 and 50 seasons. It's like players who have had 50 goals in 67 games in a season, Austin Matthews. Like, how do you not even get this correct? Like yeah. this is just impressively stupid, but um, no, I, I guess the, you know, if we want to take this from not just completely complaining, um, it's really insane what he is doing. Like the fact that I was listening to a radio show and they're like, it was overdrive, I think. And they said, um, what do you think Austin's goal is in terms of like, if he hits that number this year, he can finally just like cool the jets until playoffs. And Chris Johnson was like, I think it's 70. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, how nuts is that? And it's not even like, obviously 70 would be an aggressively long shot. Like he would need to score at, at the pace he's on, maybe even a little higher than what he's on right now. Um, but like the fact that he could very realistically hit like 65 and it wouldn't be a surprise is just insane. 
Yeah. Oh, it's absolutely nuts. It's like he's been the best player in the league this year, which is ridiculous to say about a Toronto Maple Leaf because that's never even been close to true in our lifetime. Yeah, exactly. Like it's um, it's been one of those things where, you know, at the start of the year, it was like, okay, yeah, no, he is really good. But like everyone kind of pointed at his point totals or whatever. It's like, oh, if he's that good, how come he's like 25 points behind dry and McDavid? And then he's just kind of gone on this heater and he's racking up assists too. Like every night he doesn't score, he picks up two assists. He's like yeah. 12 points behind McDavid now. Like, and uh, 25, 30 goals ahead of him. Like, oh, he's closing in on like, yeah, points per game. I think he's ahead of him. He's just behind, or at least as a Monday, he was just behind. McDavid was okay. 1.5, and uh, Matthews was 1.49, I think. That would make sense. So, like, literally, like, neck and neck, right? And Right there. Um, yeah, and so the, the other thing they said was that 65 might, or, like, 60, getting to 66 would be cool because that would beat Ovechkin's highest ever goal total in a single season, which, like, that, that'd be sick. I, the fact that that is realistic is just crazy to think about to me. Yeah. And what's even funnier is there's still people who literally be like, yeah, he's not a top 10 player, though. Oh, the amount of people. There's still so many people that just hate him blindly because he's a leaf. Yeah. And it's like, it's hilarious. Said that. Like, I don't, there was one Habs fan on Twitter that was like still trying to argue why he would take Cole Caulfield over Matthews because Caulfield oh, is, quote, a natural born goal scorer. It's like this dude has 58 goals this year. How is he not a natural born goal scorer? Yeah, this dude is like the natural born goal scorer. Which is kind of funny to me. Like, I always like coming out of the draft, we always knew that he had a wicked shot. But I don't know if it just got not, uh, I don't know what the right word is because, like, he is the most dominant five on five goal scorer we have seen ever or since the 80s for sure. He's the most dominant five on five goal scorer we have seen as uh, people in our early 20s. For exactly. sure. And it, it's not even close. And like, I think like era adjusted numbers has him up there with like the Lemuse and Gretzky's of the world. Yeah. And, um, but coming out of the draft, I feel like his shot or like how good of a goal scorer he could be was kind of not talked about much because Patrick Line was supposed to be the goal scorer, right? Like, well, that's the weird thing. Everybody talked like he was, it's like a two-way forward who's never going to have this offensive upside. And he's like having the best goal scoring season we've seen personally. Yeah, exactly. Like, and because it's not like, like he was, I mean, obviously he was a great goal scorer in his first couple of years, but it's not like it wasn't until like his third or fourth year where people were kind of like, oh, wow, like this guy is something, something else. really, really good. Right. And I don't It's just kind of crazy to see how he's developed his game. Cause yeah, like the, if you go back to draft night, the comparisons were Matthews is like Crosby, the real great two way four that'll do it all. And line a is Ovechkin, the guy who's going to pot 60 goals in a year. And Matthews has turned into both almost like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's got defensive stats that Crosby never even came close to as a young player. And he's scoring like he's near the top of the league in points per game. Yeah, exactly. Like it's just, it's kind of crazy. And that uh, leads us into another topic that uh, I got to pull up the tweet here. Hold on. Um, that our friend of the podcast, Chris, dropped and he had a question. Oh, we DM too much, Chase. There we go. Um, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Our, our friend Chris dropped this and he said, uh, I think it's time on the next podcast. You guys both decide who you'd pick if you're starting a franchise today, McDavid or Matthews. Dot, dot, dot. He goes, my hot take, question mark, is that it's Matthews. I don't think that's debatable. Um, I think you've come up. I don't know if you believe your argument or if you've just come up with some ideas to be a contrarian. I am on the opposite side of this take. I, I don't think it's like, like, if you said this to me, I wouldn't be like, wow, you're the biggest idiot I've ever met in my entire life. But I still think that starting the franchise is a little, a gap a little too far, especially if it's, you don't think it's debatable. But I'll let you go first. If you want, unless, unless you, I don't don't know how you actually feel and then give me, and then we'll we'll actually like debate about it. So I'll say like, if push came to shove, I am picking McDavid still. I think it's really cool that this is a debate that could be had. Um, Again, I would still pick McDavid. Uh, Now, outside of that, I'm going to spend from here on out pretending as if my answers would be Matthews. 
because I think that would be a lot more interesting. And honestly, it's an interesting argument, whether I believe it or not. So the argument for Matthews is basically, if we look at their statistics, even in less time on ice, Matthews is actually probably the more efficient five-on-five producer. Actually, I should say I'm reasonably confident he is. McDavid is still truly insane, but it's number one and two there, right? All that, well, Matthews is like legitimately good, maybe even great defensively. And McDavid is somewhere between replacement level and dog shit, depending on the year. So if you look at goals above replacement, they're within like one win of each other. That would be where the, so where does the, where does McDavid make up his ground? Obviously ends up being on the power play, mostly. Penalty differential helps too, but the, the huge chasm is on the power play. Do you believe power play statistics are more scheme driven? A would be one thing. I think the answer is yes, but I'll let you answer as well. And B, Matthews has had a decent career of under underperforming his expected goals numbers on the power play, all while being the best goal scorer in the league. So it seems unlikely to me that that's his true talent. So if he can catch up on the power play, he does actually end up having a very, very good shot at being the better overall player. So uh, I'll let you kind of respond to that. I will agree uh, in terms of if Matthews could figure out how to just be a power play merchant, I think that would honestly tip the scales in his favor. Yeah. In if Matthews because, and McDavid are equal on the power play, Matthews is the better player. Because Matthews outscoring him by 25 points plus playing better defense. But yeah, I guess what I'll say is I think that scheme can have a fit, but at the same time, I'd have to ask, like, McDavid has gone through, what, three or four coaches now? Yep. Are all Maybe the coaches <laughs> are all the coaches giving him that good of a power play scheme? Or is it like, maybe it's the, like, the, the, uh, to me, I think it's McDavid and, and Dreisaitl as well. He's a huge part of this are so yep. damn talented. And like, they have the perfect mix of like, McDavid is so fast that he can, when he, you know, five on five, he can't always punish you. But if you're down a man, his speed makes it feel like you're down too, because he's going to burn past an already defender. And suddenly it's a five on three if you're moving the puck around. So I don't know if I would say it's completely scheme driven. I, I think that it's definitely good, not completely scheme driven. Well, and I, I would just a, be more willing to say it's scheme driven. And I think a good scheme can really elevate the floor, especially if the players aren't that good. And like a bad scheme can probably drop the seat or drop the drop the floor of a power play, um, because like it, like it's it's always been baffling to me why Toronto's power play isn't better. And like I think it's been better this year. Well, like, do you remember last year they went through like twenty five games where they could not score a power play goal? Yeah, that was uh, that was incredibly painful. Although for what it's worth, I was looking at this earlier. I believe. This year, they have the best power play in the history of the analytics era. Okay, yeah. So, like, that – and that makes more sense because they have so much talent. And the thing is, they've always been an amazing XG team on the power play. They've just underperformed that, which, like I said, has killed Matthew's point totals. Uh, and it's just how much of that do you believe is talent or how much of that do you think is 700 minutes of shitty luck? Like – I, don't, I think it's more bad luck than anything else. Yeah. At which right? case, and, the Matthews argument becomes a lot more plausible. Yeah. And, and I should say, like, it's probably a mix of, like, bad luck. But in terms of, like, because I, I don't know. Like, the, the one thing I will say when it comes to scheme is that it was very painfully obvious that, like, Mitch Marner was not helping the power play last year. Oh, yeah. It did hurt to watch at times. In Literally, spite of their great XG numbers, it was... It was all. It was because it was so predictable, and so again, I guess that kind of goes down boils down to: Do you think it's predictable because the scheme was telling it was predictable, or that's what the players were relying on? And I don't really have an answer for you on that. Like, I would like, I I would like to think it was more scheme, but I really don't know, right? Because like the Oilers' power play, they have like the the little move where McDavid puts it right in the dry side on the slot, and they score all the time, but. That should be predictable and no one can stop it. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, it's, I think 
like to me, it, when you're arguing, so actually, you know, the biggest thing for me when it's starting a franchise, and unless we're ignoring contracts in which then I think, it, you know, then it gets a lot more interesting. The biggest reason you take McDavid over Matthews is McDavid has double the length on his contract after this year. Yeah, that's the biggest he's, worry to me. He's got four more years. Matthews has two. And even if we're saying they both resign after their team, like they're going to be on their team for life, Matthews is about to come more expensive. Like Matthews is making, what, 13 plus on his next contract? Matthews seems like if Matthews asks for a max contract, A, he will deserve it. But will you be that surprised? No, not really. And like, I think he'll probably, cause like, I'm assuming the cap is going to go up another mil next year to 83.5. And then I bet you the year, the summer he becomes a, a, a RFA, I bet you, or UFA, I guess, actually, isn't he? Um, I bet you yep. it shoots yeah, up two or three right mil that it. summer. So yeah, like I bet you the cap will be like 86 and a half million when he's a U, UFA. Yeah. And literally I could see him asking for like 14 million plus. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say 15 is like a safe number is what I would budget for if I was the least. Yeah. So that's the biggest thing is right there. Now you're already getting McDavid two years cheaper. Um, I think the, the biggest things, if you're arguing McDavid is, is a uh, power play absolutely does matter. Um, yep. The, the, I, I feel like it's gone too far because there is the, like, oh, and the biggest problem is people just look at point totals. Right. And I think this yeah. is the biggest argument. If you're making it for Matthews is like, there's more to the game than just point totals. And a lot of people, people, or a lot of the time people will just be like, oh, McDavid has 115 points and Matthews only has hundred. So how could he be better? Right. But it's gone sometimes almost too far the other way where it's like, well, McDavid just gets like 40 points on the power play. Cause he plays with dry cells. Like, okay. But like, that's the reason they win so many games, you know, like, like that power play is amazing. Exactly. It's like, if you know, you can draw four penalties or three penalties in one, in one game and you're going to score on 34% of those or whatever, or 30%, one in three, right? Like that is a massive advantage to have because games average probably three to four power plays a game. Oh, it's insane. And for what it's worth on McDavid's power play front, we know publicly the most predictive thing about a power play is its ability to gain the zone with a controlled entry. Uh, there's nobody even close to McDavid at that skill on this entire planet. Yeah, exactly. And his speed just is so insane, right? And um, exactly, and I think, how do you stop him trying to enter the zone? Exactly. And I think the other reason, you know, maybe if you're arguing, if you're trying to argue against Matthews, is that you know you, you would point to um, noisy defensive statistics in terms of we know that our public public models still aren't near perfect in terms of evaluating defense. And I think it's probably a little too aggressive one way versus the other to try and insinuate that Matthews is actually bad at defense or anything like that. Um, but if you're saying like the gap between Matthews and McDavid offensively is still big enough for the gap for first to second player. Right. Um, you know, I, I think your best argument is trying to, um, I don't know, like, I don't know how many Oilers games you watch, but uh, a lot of the time, it's so clear that like McDavid is trying, has to really do everything on the ice for that team, where it's yeah. like, it's so painfully obvious. It's like, yeah, I'm sure this dude could probably make a back check and, and cut the puck off at the blue line. But it's like, he's so out of gas because he just had to do four laps around the offensive zone with no help that he just, he's not getting back. And sometimes I do wonder, it's like, if he had a better all around team around him, would we see his defensive results at least improve to the point where it's like, they're not actively atrocious. Yeah, and I think you'd be pretty comfortable making that bet if you're on Team Pick McDavid because what's the Hockey Canada motto? Like, skill adapts. Like, if Connor McDavid has figured out how to absolutely massacre the league offensively, I'm assuming he can figure out how to play half-decent defense. Yeah, and, like, even just watching him, it's not like he's just completely lost in the defensive zone or anything. No, it's... He just plays a really high pace, I think, mostly, his, which is a calculated saying, risk, right? His speed and yeah, that's what exactly, right? His speed leans into we're just going to play run and gun hockey and trust that you can't keep up because I have the speed and skill to score on 30% of my yeah. chances where we're counting that you only score on 10% or whatever. Yeah, play run and gun hockey because as if you probably can't keep up because you probably can't. Exactly. And that's why it's such an effective strategy and he creates so much. So, um, yeah, to me, I think really like 
when it comes down to starting a franchise, especially assuming contracts, I, I just can't pick Matthews because of the length of the contract. Um, yeah, that part sucks for Matthews. It's just that that's the one thing I really couldn't get by because I was trying to like hot take as well. But to me, it's the classic of like Matthews is absolutely having the best season this year, but McDavid is still the best player because we haven't seen Matthews be a top two player four years in a row. Like we have McDavid has been a top three, top five player literally every single year for half a decade now. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like my Matthews argument, something I conveniently left out because I want to argue for Matthews. Like earlier in their career, Ovi had stretches sometimes even like, I think there was a two year stretch where he was a decent amount better than Sid. Um, And if you use those two years to try to hot take it based and go against everybody's prior that Sid was better. You would have been horribly wrong in the long run. I don't know. Have you heard people this year questioning it? <laughs> That's true. Even though Sid has more war than him in uh, fewer games again, but yeah. uh, Ovi had a hot shooting percentage to start. So yeah. That's so, and, and who knows, like he's going to play till he's 44, be absolutely garbage and break the goal on goal record, but that's going to cement his legacy. Yeah. I don't, I, I should be, I don't want to shit on Ovi or anything. I love the Like I love, watching him play and everything. And, and I should point out too, like, obviously I think it goes without saying that me saying, I think Matthews is the second best player in the world. is not me saying this dude. Like, well, I think still... we've been relatively high on Matthews. Like we were big on the Matthews, the second best center in the league train before that was super obvious. We were both on Matthews is probably better than McKinnon, both adding into the last year already, I think, yeah. or at and least was I was like, time. Yeah, and I was like, they're probably tied, but I like you. I could give them edge to Matthews for age. Yeah, and the, heading into this year, I didn't think it was a question. But yeah, like, I, and I still think now, like, there's again, like, it's. I think it's just t- kind of team fatigue. But it's like there are people who legitimately be like, Matthews isn't better than uh, Bergeron, Barkov, Crosby, McKinnon, McDavid, Drysital, uh, Stamkos, Point. It's just like. Like it's just like relax. Like yes, he is, and that's okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's he's the second best player in the league, and he, like I said, if it wasn't for that power play shooting percentage, I think a lot of people would have figured it out a long time ago too. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's uh, it's just I I don't know. Like I don't I don't know what to say. I, I would still definitely. It is cool that it is like a question that we can at least ask. But yeah, as you said, more like, fun this way. Exactly. But as you pointed out, like there's absolutely a scenario in two years where we're asking, like, is player X actually better than McDavid? And it's not Matthews anymore, but it's still McDavid we're comparing him to. And that's yep. probably this, the ultimate. This generation will have a Claude Giroux. Yeah, Jonathan exactly. Case. Exactly. Right. And it's because every generation has one. And, you know, we went through it for a decade with Crosby where it's like, is player X actually better than Crosby? It's like, all you have to do is take one step back and realize that the players you're always comparing to is still Crosby, which means he is generally speaking going to be the best until someone truly come and replace them like McDavid did. And yeah. you don't need to try and hot take 29 year olds in to do that. Yeah, exactly. So um, no, that was a good question though. I think it is a, a fun argument and, uh, or, you know, a good debate to be had back and forth. Uh, I know people kind of roll their eyes, but like analytically, it is at least closer. I just think that for me, the biggest thing is um, the contract, but also just consistency. Like if Matthew somehow does this exact season over again, or like hits 68 goals again next year, or stays healthy and hits 70, like I will absolutely lean more into the, uh, you know, put more thought into it about who, who I think is, you know, is he actually better or not? But let's say Matthews comes out and has a disappointing 54 goal season next year or something like that. Like, that's still going to be absolutely insane, but it just probably means he might not have as good of a year as McDavid. A hundred percent. And like, it's also worth noting all these debates have come up. McDavid's shooting percentage on a shooting percentage is at like his career low and Matthews on a shooting percentage on the power play. Like we had said, is grossly outperforming his career average. Now I'm reasonably certain that was just bad luck for Matthews, but on the McDavid end, if that shooting percentage goes back up, people are very quickly going to be like, hmm, I can't believe we had this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. But um, nonetheless, there is that a- risk. McDavid was just a little lucky too, which he probably was at least slightly lucky, but I'm sure it's going back up from this. 
Yeah, well, and like, again, like the style McDavid plays, I think really bends into the luck where there's going to be some years where everything he shoots is going to go in the net. And like, I bet you there's a year he pops in just 150 points very casually. And then yep. it is what it is. And then there's going to be- Last year, he probably would have if it's full season. Exactly. He had 156 games. Like, yeah. So, yeah. And then, there, you know, there might be another year kind of like this year where it's like, well, just not a lot's going in. And he's kind of getting the regression of that. And that's okay. Yeah, and Matthew's just a little more anti-fragile to that because at least when the puck's quote-unquote not going in and you're only on pace for 90 or 100 points or whatever, he is better defensively. But Yeah, ex- exactly. And like Matthew's game just kind of doesn't rely on as much back-and-forth speed where it's more control the puck, get it in the zone, start cycling it, and move the puck and find a chance, right? So, yeah. Um, the last thing we have to talk about, and honestly, if this was any of the past two years, this would not have been news to me, but... Uh, Drew Doughty is done for the season with a wrist surgery that he got uh, yesterday. And this is massive news, not only because one, Drew Doughty's actually been good this year, um, but two, the Kings are fighting now for their lives in a playoff spot, which I had no idea about. I knew, I thought they were locked into a spot. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> I, somebody put that in the in the group chat. I was like, oh, they might miss. And I was like, what do you mean they might miss? Yeah, they're two points up on Vegas and have a Vegas, Vegas has, has a game, game in hand. hand. Yep. I literally, it was me because someone was like, oh, they're, they're getting swept around one. I was like, I don't even know if they'll make round one. Like, but yeah, so they're, uh, they've had a very just mediocre four, four, and two in their last 10. Uh, Vegas has been seven and three. I think the Kings have really just been playing 500 hockey lately. Um, so it hasn't been great. Um, but yeah, again, like this is a huge loss in terms of Doughty over the past couple of years has not been good. He's still probably not like what the very peak of his like power was back in like, 2013 probably 24 like the two cup runs 2012 2014 yeah um that stretch he was obviously like i will never forgive doughty for stealing a norris from eric carlson um, true but that being said he was a very good defenseman for a number of years it, it wasn't quite this good but he is like he's been a number one defenseman again this year and that's much better than he's been the past two three years yeah he looks like uh he looks like true doughty at very least yeah exactly looks and- to like and one of the conversations you guys will hear in a couple minutes here is uh, with the abs, we talked about their five on five metrics this year, just kind of floating through, going through the motions. Cause they're like, the games don't mean anything to me or to that, to me, to them. Um, to me, that kind of reminds me of what De- like Doughty's done the past three years. He just hasn't given a shit because his team sucks. And like, maybe that, like, I, I think that's maybe a little overblown. Like there's very much a possibility. This was just more luck driven this season that he's this good. But at the same time, I can absolutely buy that he's not a replacement level defenseman and he just didn't care for a while. Yeah, 100%. It's kind of like what's more likely that one of the best defensemen of a generation magically became horrible overnight or uh, maybe his effort level went from 100% to 95% and there was kind of a nonlinear return there. Exactly. Uh, we have seen guys better than Doughty fall off a cliff, so it's not impossible. But if he comes back next year strong, I'm not going to be surprised either. Yeah, exactly. And again, like even if he's just like the 27th best defenseman in the league, it's like, well, that's much better than the 200th or whatever he's been like, like recently, right? So um, exactly. I'll be interested to see how LA deals with this though, because uh, it's not like we've talked about it once or twice, I think, before. It's not like they're on a hot run of goaltending or anything. They've just been playing a very, very good team game. Yeah, they're a weirdly good five-on-five team. And so to me, it almost and like Doughty's been a massive part of that, which I think the floor is either absolutely going to collapse here or they're just going to be the exact same team. No better, no worse. Like, Yeah. and Because I, like, I don't see where the improvements come from, unless Byfield's like amazing or something next year. Yeah. Well, I mean, like next year, it depends what they do in the offseason, right? But like, yeah, like I just mean like in terms of the rest of this year, I just don't see, you know, like, some, like if someone goes down, it's like, they went from a 96 point pace to a 92 or whatever. Like they're just slightly worse, but still pretty good. Yeah. To me, this team is either going to just remain on like a 96 point pace or just be like a 70 point pace team. And I don't know if there's any in between here. Cause like, I think it's either going to be, it's going to show that it really is just been a team system where everyone's chipped in. And it's just quote next man up kind of thing. Or it's going to be like, yeah, Doughty and Kopitar being actually way better than we thought the past couple of years is masking a lot of issues here. Like revived them completely. And it sucks that it's, they don't have a great defense core either. No, like they really don't have much more 
Like they picked up like Troy Stetcher at the deadline. It's like, yeah, that's great as depth if one of your bottom three guys go down, not your number one defenseman. Yeah, a reason you, you have to play him on your second pair. It's whatever, but now like, I don't even know what they do. Are you playing like Sean Dursey on your top pair at this point? That's what I was writing about this yesterday because I did I did the news piece for my the site and I was just like, Blank is going to get his power play time. And then I looked, I was like, I don't know who is getting the power play time. Like it's probably Dursey, I guess. Yeah, I would think it would be Dursey. You just got to hope that like Bjornfoot is just unreal, I guess, getting a ton of ice time maybe. Like, yeah, I know Stetcher got it like a little bit one year in Vancouver. Maybe he can do it because he's a puck moving defenseman. I don't really know. Well, like none of these options are great. None of them are good. Yeah. But um, yeah, if you're in the Pacific, like Edmonton is just praying that Jonathan Quick goes on a heater for the next 10 games. So they can play them probably instead of Vegas. Yeah. But uh, I haven't looked at playoff odds, but I imagine this has got to just absolutely boost Vegas's playoff odds in terms of they can now either get second wild card or that LA King spot, which is not what it looked like a week and a half ago. Yeah. I haven't seen Vegas's playoff odds, but I can only imagine it's pretty linearly increasing over time. Yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, that's all I have. I think, I don't know if you have anything else you want to touch on. I don't think so. All right, let's throw it to our interview with uh, Ads Robin then, and um, I'll talk to you guys all after. Joining us now, making his debut on the podcast, it is Ads Robin. Robin, thank you so much for joining us. How's it going today, man? I'm perfectly fine. How are you guys? Uh, I think I speak for both of us when I say we're doing pretty good, and I guess I shouldn't say uh, today for you because it is uh, almost 11 o'clock at night over in Sweden as we're recording this, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is 11 o'clock in Sweden, yes. And I am Swedish, so that's why I live here. So, yeah. Yeah, um, uh, if anyone doesn't know, uh, you're a great follow on Twitter, but uh, obviously, as I said in, in the uh, your name on uh, your Twitter name there, Abs Robin, it's uh, the avalanche that you follow most closely. And Jason, I thought it would be perfect to have you on as we kind of get prepped for the playoffs here. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks out, the Avs are... I mean, they've obviously been a team for months now that we're clearly going to make it. I think everyone would have picked them to make the playoffs. And as a lot of people kind of suggested um, uh, at the beginning of the year, they're fighting for that. And, you know, almost lead, they are leading, I guess, right now, the uh, President's Trophy race as well. Um, but they haven't really gotten to this place maybe the way we all would have expected. It's been a very up and down year for the ads in terms of uh, once again, kind of fighting through injury and even just inconsistencies from, you know, the goaltending to start the year for sure. It's really rebounded lately. But, um, you know, take us through what the experience has been like just kind of watching this team through 70 games so far. Well, the, the, the sort of the narrative the last few seasons has been that this is the year Avs has to go for it. This is the last chance. And like what we have seen with many great teams over the last decades or so is that that isn't necessarily true. If you have elite talent around your a group of elite talent, you usually just find a way to be competitive next year too. You just get to work around it. And this year it was, you know, absolutely not going to be as good this year because McCarr is going from 900k to 9 million. So they basically had to cut Don Scoy and Brandon Saad short and trade away Ryan Graves to make room for McCarr. So naturally, they would be worse, but they have found a way to not be. So, I mean, they started the year pretty shaky. I think they had three losses in the first four, and people were panicking, of course. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I wasn't really worried, worried at all, and I think they had like 27 wins in 30 games in November at a certain point around Thanksgiving. and so. It has never really been a real worry that they're going to miss the playoffs or anything. But as you said, they've gone through a couple of different stages. Before Christmas, they were scoring six, seven per game. And Darcy Kemper were letting in three, four. And you, we were talking like, well, as he can keep scoring six, seven goals, he got <laughs> eventually got to be uh, a better netminder. And uh, since... You know, since New Year's, it's been the opposite. He has been, I think, close to 0.950. I mean, he's been absolutely lights out. And it's not that the Avs shooting percentage necessarily has gone down as much, but I think their performance a bit has. 
have not, not been as dominant in terms of their underlying metrics and stuff, but maybe that's natural when you don't really need to compete that much. You've already secured your spot at all, et cetera. So, I mean, in the last 10 games or so, I think everyone in the league, not just Colorado Avalanche fans, we're just waiting for the playoffs. 82 games is too it's too much. I mean, <laughs> there's yeah. no races or anything to look into. There's no, the only thing we're interested in, interested in is if Vegas is going to miss the playoffs or not. I mean, that's the only storyline left. So, I mean, we're just waiting for the playoffs, right? Yeah. And I mean, I think especially for Colorado too, there was that insane stretch into the new year there in 2022, where it was like, it was months before they had lost their like, I think third or fourth regular C- or regulation game uh, in 2022. It was just some absolutely insane stretch. And, and I do of course think they lose kind of, to Arizona. Yeah, exactly. Right. And then, yeah, it's the worst team or one of the worst teams in the league that they're actively trying to lose that they snap it to. Um, yeah. I, I think the one big thing that, you know, when I was taking a quick look before we started here that I really did not realize with, especially Darcy Kemper, I think a lot of people are still kind of viewing Darcy Kemper as this old, you know, November, self when he was letting in a ton of goals this dude according to evolving hockey right now is bounced all the way back up to third in uh, goal saved or second in goal saved above average and third in goal saved above expected only behind Igor Shesterkin and Frederick Anderson and like like I didn't realize even that it was that aggressive that he is playing that well and I think that you know I'm I'm going to be very interested to see how how that kind of rolls in the playoffs because I think if you ask a lot of people they would still kind of say the one Avs weakness is a net. And obviously you can say any team's weakness is a net because you don't know what the hell you're going to get from goaltending over a seven game sample. But uh, you know, if there's been anything that's shown this year, Kemper has rebounded and had a second half. That's not only been good, but elite. Yeah. If he started the season like this and just trailed off, like if, he, if, if his season was reversed, we'll still be talking about him in the Vesna conversation because you don't really tend to notice if someone trails off a bit in the last few months because the narrative has already been set, you know? But I remember that when Jay Fresh posted his, he usually posts like once a week or something, like the goaltenders top and bottom on goal saved above uh, expected. And uh, Darcy Kimber was well in the bottom. Like he was on the... Grubauer graph, you know, <laughs> the first uh, few months to come back from that and actually to be on the top because that's a that's an accumulated score, right? So, uh, I mean, that turnaround has been exceptional. So, I mean, I, I I understand that it annoys some Avs fans that people are still saying like, but do they have the goaltending to go deep? Well, I understand that everyone can't follow. 31 teams closely and so and, and I guess sort of people tune out a bit when the ads have already secured a spot and all that and they don't care how they win or, but I mean there's not a worry for me about net money going into the playoffs I mean and this whole as having gone by the second round for three years in a row that narrative is uh, the second year they lost due to goaltending but if you lose your starter and your backup in the playoffs and have to go to your third string, I mean, I, I you can't fault the team for losing a, in seven games to a Dallas team then. So if that happens again, I mean, sure. But how can you protect yourself from that? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, as Chase well knows, his team protected himself from not having <laughs> to use Michael Hutchinson last year when they went. And uh, I would argue, say they wasted a third for picking up. Uh, yeah. uh, who was it, Chase? I can't. Uh, he's in Nashville. Big British, save. Yeah. Big save, Dave. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Chase, what are your thoughts on the Avs and you know whether that's your goaltender or just the team as a whole this year? Well, yeah. So I was kind of curious to get your thoughts on it. You touched on it for a second, but like, so. Betting markets have this team as like overwhelming cup favorites. Florida's sort of been slowly catching them throughout the year, but it looks like the general consensus is like, this is one of the best teams we've ever seen. Uh, Do fans kind of view it that way? And do the, I don't want to say relatively weak as in like, I actually think they have bad five on five numbers, but this is like the president's, overwhelming president's trophy favorite and Stanley cup favorite, despite the fact they're outside of the top five and all the five on five metrics. 
So like, what do the fans kind of think of the team and do those even strike numbers concern you? Uh, I mean, the fans, there are those fans that are like, it doesn't matter what they do unless they get past the second round. Like, yeah. And I, and I, because they lost in the second round three years in a row. And I'm like, to them, I say, well, losing in game six or seven of the second round is not like, it's not a disaster. Like there's only eight teams that makes the second round. So if you've done that three years in a row, that's, that's good. Uh, and sure, it would be a disappointment to not take another step. But also, I mean, are you going to sit with your arms crossed for 82 games and just be grumpy about that going for the President's Trophy <laughs> uh, until they do something in the playoffs? I mean, you just got to sit, like try to enjoy the the regular season as well when you finally have a good team as we're bad for over a decade so you better just enjoy that in terms of uh, five on five numbers i know they've gone down a bit i mean if you just look at the games lately they've they've allowed 35 40 shots no way too often uh, but i don't know if um, i wouldn't say it concerns me much i think they're in a bit of a lazy mode because they had this playoff stuff, playoff spots so secured for such a long time. But I mean, like I think you guys refer to Money Puck a lot, and I, I check out that too. When they're facing, I think they have as tenth in the power rankings due to these five on five numbers not being great. Yeah, Money Puck's really low on the abs. Yeah, but I don't also don't know what goes into. Dom's model, for example, that makes Avs the runaway cup favorite. Because the, the drafts, I mean, the DraftKings and the betting sites, they're based on what people bet on, right? Yeah. So that makes sense. But I don't know what Dom's model, why why he is so extremely high on the Avs. What, what number do he, does he value much higher than Money Puck? Chase might know better than me on this, but I think Dom's model brings in priors as well, which... Yeah, and it builds them in for each individual player, where I think Money Puck's weigh really heavily on, like, this year's even strength numbers. So, like, and I think that makes sense because... Well, sorry, like, I think that would probably explain some of the disparity there because all you have to do is look at the game's played list for a lot of these guys on the abs to realize this has not been a team that has been healthy at all this year. Like McKinnon's only played 56 games. Gerard's played 57. Uh, Landis Gog has only played uh, 51, right? Like that everyone has missed at least 20, 20 plus games. It kind of feels yeah. like other than uh, Rantanen's played 69, McCars played 68 and Kadri's played 65. So, you know, if, if you're already missing 20 of 70 games, you would assume a couple of those coming back, you probably are still getting up to speed because you're not fully healthy. You're not fully used to it. And I think the point you made is great that, you know, when a team is this clearly into a playoff spot, and let's be honest, this clearly locked into their division too, because I don't think their division's bad by any means, but the Minnesota wild are 16 points behind them. And it's been like that for a little while now, right? Like, Minnesota slipped up just three or four weeks ago. So when you're this far locked into not only a playoff spot, but home ice for the first two rounds, I think it probably would be pretty easy to, I don't know if complacent's not the right word, but like just if you're playing a not great team on night two of a back-to-back or your fourth game in, or third game in four nights, I can see why it would be smart probably not to go all out and try and absolutely dummy that team 50 to 29 and shot attempts or whatever, when you know your skill is going to let you get a 2-1 win anyways. Yeah. And isn't that what, I mean, this can't be backed up by the metrics or anything, but isn't this kind of what separates contenders from from pretenders in the long run? You know, that that you stay afloat even if you don't, if you even if you aren't at full strength, I mean, yeah, I think Pittsburgh is a good example for 10, 15 years. Even when Crosby and Malkin has been out, the rest of the team still finds a way to get, get to the playoffs. The teams that are not good teams, they are the ones who crumble if they lose one or two star players. Like, 
Montreal Canadian fans saying, oh, we don't have Shea Weber care price this year or Philip Denault. You're like, well, if that makes you <laughs> the worst team in the league, then maybe your team wasn't all that good. Like maybe the foundation wasn't very strong. Uh, so I think, but even though, I mean, Avs have been fairly healthy, I guess. I mean, they started the season with guys being out. Taves was out. McKinnon had a positive COVID test and missed like the first five, six games. And, uh, uh, and then, uh, I mean, but then guys sort of came back, but they've been losing guys late. The only real consistent injury has been Bowen Byram, but they don't really, they don't really need him that much. I mean, he's, he's great and all, but if you still have uh, Devon Taves and Kale McCarn, Sam Girard, that's your three. You, you don't really depend on Bowen Byron to be in that much. Yeah, it's definitely a wealth of riches on, on the blue line there, right? And Byron, to me, is kind of one of those pieces where it's uh, he's not going to be as important this year as he is going to be in you know future years when, as you said already off the top, you know, people expected this team to take a step back because this is the McCarr extension year. Well, half the reason you don't take a step back is because you can find cheap options to help internally replace, you know, guys you yeah. might have to ship out. And I'm not saying they're going to, they're going to have to ship out anyone on their blue line or anything like that. But if Bowen Byram can be even better than he has been so far going forward, and he's at a relatively cheap price for a couple more years, that is going to mask maybe more issues, even if you have to lose a little depth when more contracts you get. Yeah. And like, yeah, is walking this summer. That's pretty much set in stone because he's priced himself out of Colorado. And as, I mean, they're going to pay Borakovsky to stay because they don't have a natural replacement for him, but they do have a natural replacement for Nazikaga in Alex Newhook, who will play on his second line center role for 900k next year but there is this is sort of like how tampa has rolled for 10 years you just you just push the problems ahead of you one year you like find a way to put a competitive team on the ice for this year and then we'll try to figure it again figure it out again next summer because for 10 years in a row we, we've been saying Okay, now Tampa really has got to, they, they really got to blow it up now to, to actually sign these guys. And they just find a way to get that guy to take a bridge deal instead of a long-term deal. And they just find a way to put a top team on the ice for that one season and then just do it again next year, next year. And I think that's probably what Adam's going to have to do. Uh, this summer, it's going to be, okay, new who can fill a cadre spot and uh, we roll again. We'll see what we do next summer. Like you, you just take one year at a time and try to put the best team on, best team you can on the ice. Um, yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of the meme where it's like, I'd like to see him wiggle his way out of this one. And then it's like, gets out a bit easy. It's like, ah, well, never, nevertheless, yeah. that is, that it seems to be the motto with good NHL teams making space. There's always someone who'll take your bad contracts. Uh, Chase, was there anything else you wanted to touch on? I have one last thing about this has been somewhat popular because of how absurdly good he's been this year, I was relitigating the Kadri trade on Leafs Twitter. Uh, do you have like any comment to just how, like, where has this come from? Because I don't watch a ton of Avs games, uh, but um, his numbers are ridiculous this year. Yeah, it's it's strange because it's not really you can't point to an inflated shooting percentage. You can't point to him. Oh, he's been playing with Nathan McKinnon all year or something like that because. He hasn't. He's just been better. And don't really know why. Because last year, he sort of had a down year. I mean, he scored, I think, 16 or something in 50-plus games. Something like that. Maybe it was 11. I don't know. But And he sort of was kicked off the first power play as well. And you sort of... I mean, some were talking like, do they even protect him in the expansion draft? Because now he took another suspension in the playoffs, etc. I thought that was nonsense, but he, I mean, he was 30 years old and he had a down year. And you sort of started to guess, okay, well, they're not going to resign him after this year. But now he just, I mean, incredible bounce back. I don't know 
where it's come from. And he's back on the first power play in this. Like, uh, but I mean, that shouldn't be enough to bolster his numbers like this. Maybe it's just that the other guys has always been out, so he has to been like he has he hasn't had a secondary role in the same way or. But no, it it's um, it is a bit strange. I I wouldn't be <laughs> like I'm I'm happy that Avs aren't going to be the team that pays up for his next contract because he is 31, right? 32 this year. Yeah. I mean they. Yeah. Because I mean the great players they stay great for a long time and then they get good. But Kadri has never been a great player. I mean it's no, he's never even been close to this. No. It's strange. <laughs> I don't know who. Te- well, I mean, I don't know which team's gonna pay up for him. Maybe Philadelphia or something like that. But I mean, it's absolutely natural for it. I don't. I don't. I don't even think Avs are gonna try to resign him. It's gonna be. It's more important for them to keep a good defense. I mean, they have McCarr signed. They have Tave signed for two more years. They have Gerard long term. I mean, it's gonna be more important to how they build the defense under them. Um, and retaining Burakovsky. I mean, Burakovsky is not, I mean, he's not the fan favorite because he doesn't do all. I mean, he doesn't play physical. He doesn't, he just racks up points at an incredible rate. Um, people don't think about it because his point totals aren't very big, but if you just look at points per 60 at 5v5, he isn't a second liner. He's not a first liner. He's like an elite first line driver by the looks of it because he's like i think if you rank 300 forwards the last three four years he's like top 15 or something in points per 60 at 5v5 he just if you want secondary scoring i mean he's the best one in the world at that so they're going to be absolutely prioritized retaining him over cadre uh yeah so probably let's just cadre walk and (laughs) I'm curious to see how it goes for him in the next team, but uh, I'm, I'm glad we're not the ones that's going to pay for it. That contract has just free agency nightmare written all over mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it like it screams to me like Jamie Ben contract. Yeah. Like yeah, Jamie, I, I, I don't know. I can't remember. Jamie Ben signed his pretty well into his thirties already. And it was just yeah. miserable real quick, but like, it kind of felt like a foregone conclusion. Kadri was Kadri was gone from the Avs this year, regardless. Before he put up the best season we've ever seen from him, and like that was the other thing that was funny for me is that like or to me anyways is there's a couple of things. Or a yeah, I don't know where this explosion came from because it's not like just his power play numbers have exploded. He's been actually like amazing at driving play at five on five this year as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure some of that might be when he got to go play with Ranton and Landeskog on the top line when McKinnon was out to start the year or whatever. But that can't be right. all of it. No. Like and he hasn't done it that much either. No, I mean he's and not played that much with him. Exactly. And then so and Chase, to your point, like I always laugh when I see Leafs Twitter and be like, "Oh, Dubis is such an idiot for getting rid of this guy," as if like like he hasn't had two years where he was extremely mediocre and Toronto media would have just absolutely been crucifying him for uh, only throwing up 16 goals or whatever it was. But yeah, um, yeah, it kind of, I'm very interested to see, you know, how he responds this playoffs because I'm sure both of, you know, as you know, fans of teams that have employed country in the playoffs, it kind of seems like you keep going, Oh, he can't do it again. And then he just goes and does some, absolutely insane thing to get him kicked out of the playoffs basically i am curious to see if his hot stretch rolls over here or what we see this playoffs from him i mean because he can't he can't skate around and have that in his mind all the time but then you're not going to get the best out of him so it's yeah it's going to be a difficult uh, situation for him i think key is probably to just get past the first round and then (laughs) and then and then you can sort of let it go but yeah yeah, he's a he's an interesting case. But what people got to remember about the trade is also that Tyson Berry's reputation plummeted in Toronto. It didn't plummet in Colorado. Yeah, I mean he wanted eight times eight from Colorado, and he had been a steady sixty point guy on defense for a long time. And I mean, it was not totally out of the question to give him that monster deal, but eventually they decided not to because they had Kale McCarr coming up, I guess. But 
I mean, the, the, the world's view of Tyson Berry has shifted significantly since that trade. He, his reputation died in Toronto, basically. I think he was the first guy who didn't get a single Norris vote, despite being the highest scoring defenseman. Like, he's the first one in history to be that last year in Edmonton. So, yeah. I don't fault Dubas for that, but it's also easy for me to say he's not, not a Leafs fan, but I mean, sometimes a GM just got to take chances. I mean, you can't be absolutely sure of every deal. You can't be absolutely sure of every contract. Like, have signing Landis Cog to an extension this summer. You can't avoid every contract that has some sort of element of risk to it. Then you're not going to... I mean, are you going to refuse to sign players that are above 28? It's not going to work. And I mean, the the human element of it and the... I mean, what does it, what does it do to that group if in their locker room if you don't sign these players that are part of the core and all that? So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, honestly, Chase, I want your opinion on this quick too. But I still like I will still fully defend Dubis. I think maybe you could try and find different players, but like the idea of downgrading from Kadri to Kerfoot as your three C because that's exactly what he's going to be with Matthews and Tavares. Uh, you know, obviously it's a slight downgrade, but it's not like, I mean, if you ask half Leaf fans, they want Kerfoot right out of the building most nights for some reason, but Kerfoot is a fine 3C and that's exactly what they're paying him for. So the idea of trying to downgrade slightly at an already very strong position and then go get a guy who obviously, as you said, had a massive reputation, Tyson Berry, I don't hate the process. It's just, it wasn't a good result. And, and you know, maybe you could argue he should have found different players, but like, I, I still think the process behind it was sound enough. Chase, I, I don't know if you agree with that or not, but. I completely agree. Like if you look at Kerfoot's numbers in Colorado, they were really, really, for a free C, they were really good. Obviously it's not like they should have ever expected him to be a first liner and they didn't. Then if you look at Kadri's numbers, when he goes the other way, like Kadri was declining with age as he was in his late twenties, which kind of makes sense. First year in Colorado, he was pretty mediocre, but he had not nice shooting heater. That's fine. You can't control that. The third year he's kind of fine continuing the age related curve you would expect. And then the third year he explodes. Uh, I don't know how you're ever supposed to see that three years out. So I don't know, unless there's some sort of, if unless somebody can give me a systemic analysis of like, why they should have known that Kerfoot wouldn't work within the Leaf system and that Kadri would excel elsewhere or something. But I haven't seen anything like that. It's mostly just been like, look at Kadri's points. Yeah, Kerfoot was not a popular player in Colorado. I mean, the, the, he's just the type of player that fans don't like. Yeah, he's pretty hated in Toronto too. And he, he doesn't really stand out or anything, right? Like he just doesn't... Yeah, he's a bit soft really, and yeah. yeah. Yeah, he doesn't do anything special, but he doesn't like do anything very poorly either which just makes him a very average player and that's kind of what he's been paid to be his entire career there's nothing wrong with that yeah yeah right but at the end of the day Avs have gotten three good years out of Kadri and Toronto got one disappointing year out of Barry so yeah yeah um all right last thing before we wrap up here quick if the Avs are to make a long Stanley Cup run this year what needs to happen um well, they need to have a healthy goaltender. They don't need to have like a superb goaltending. They just need adequate goaltending, I think, and, and healthy, of course. If it's from the dangerous thing is that Paul of Francois was the backup, uh, above average backup by his numbers for a long time. I don't trust, trust his injury history because he was out a year and a half just recently and uh, with three separate injuries. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> What has to happen? I mean, they're going to play in the first round against a fairly good team. It's going to be Dallas or Vegas or... I mean, people they just expect them to win that out of... It's so easy because... I mean, yeah. But... I mean, I'm, I'm trying to turn the, the other way around. Like, what, what can go wrong, really? Yeah, I mean, like... Other you than never goal trust or getting I mean, goalie, you, right? Yeah. Yeah, you it's never trust the <laughs> They could lose you, they can lose you a series, or the other guy can win them a series. That's but it can't, I mean, can't happen to the Avs now because they have been second round three years in a row. They just gotta win uh, win some rounds this year, just like Toronto just 
it can't happen again. Yeah. And, but what has to happen? I mean, you just got to be what they are, really. I mean, no one needs to, like, uh, be better than they already is. I mean, they don't need Burakovsky to go one of these theaters when he scores 10 in 10. As long as they have Kadri, Ranton, and McKinnon, uh, Landis Cog is going to be back. Uh, it should be pretty fine. I mean, there's no holes in the team, really. Especially now on defense when they have added Josh Manchin. I mean, Ryan Murray, is the, they're 8D. I mean, he's been pretty poor this season, but even if they lose a defenseman, they they have cover for it. And even in the forward group, when they added now Cogliano and Lekonen, they they just they just added that. They didn't send anyone away. People thought that they needed to send Comfer away or something, but they just upgraded, just added to what they already had. So I mean nothing should go wrong here, right? <laughs> Those are always seem to be the famous last words in the playoffs, but yeah, that like they, they've given themselves every, every avenue to cover themselves up here. That's for sure. Um, I mean, it's talky, right? So you, you can be the better team for six games and lose four of them. That's, exactly. Yeah. Um, Chase, do you have anything else? I don't think so. No, I, I think we're good as well. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you know, we'll have to have you down on the road. Hopefully, uh, fingers crossed if the abs go on a deep run, we can have you on after to talk about the deep run, but uh, we'll see how it yeah. goes. Um, and thank you so much for joining us, man. As mentioned, huge thanks to Robin for joining us. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter. Uh, his at is Avs Robin. That is A-V-S Robin. Uh, as always, you can find Chase and I on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff and CM Hockey 66. Uh, you can check out check out all of Chase's work at uh, actionnetwork.com and all of my work at lastwordonhockey.com. I've already got back into writing. I did a piece this week on uh, the options that the Sens are going to have with Colin White this summer. Uh, you know, a very common uh, bio candidate, I think, for most Sens fans. So you can give that a read. I've also done a couple news pieces recently. Um, so yeah, lots of great content there, and you can check it all out. Uh, as always, thank you everyone so much for listening, and we're winding down to playoff time here. Uh, Chase and I were pretty surprised, to be honest, at how quick that's coming up. So, um, yeah, honestly, probably only one or two more weeks, and then we'll be into our uh, playoff preview. So I know I speak for both Chase and I when I say we're both really excited. And um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Hope you have a great week, and we'll talk to you all next week.